assuring us the Bible is true. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. You know the Bible's true because God declared it to be so. And you know that God declared it to be so because it's true. And we know it's true because of the evidence that God has left us. You and I can trust that the Bible we have in our hands, most of them translated in English, represents the original autographs that were written literally thousands of years ago. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Critics accuse Christians of circular reasoning when we defend the Bible with the Bible. So how do we answer that objection? We'll learn how on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In Hebrews chapter 11, we are assured our faith in the Bible is well-placed. But it's only well-placed if the Bible is true. So how can we really know the Bible is true? To help us answer that and more, here's Pastor Ed. Hebrews chapter 11, we're on a verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews, and we're on the home stretch as Paul the Apostle, whom I believe is the author of Hebrews, is winding down his letter with the application of how to live out all the doctrine that he's taught us. And the application, you'll remember, is that the just shall live by faith that our trust in God will propel us and move us forward day by day, act by act, month by month, year by year. And remember, faith is not some leap into the darkness and just close your eyes and don't worry about what you believe, just place your faith in Jesus. That's not what the Bible teaches and that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith has both substance and evidence. Notice in verse one of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, and that it is referring to faith, by faith the elders obtained a good testimony. And that's how you'll obtain a good testimony. As you live your life trusting God at his word. As you live your life by trusting God and doing what it says, you too will obtain a good testimony. You will not be able to obtain a good testimony in your flesh or by reason, or by logic. Like those men and women that have gone before us, we follow in their footsteps, and it's by faith, your ultimate trust in God, that you too will have a good testimony. Then we come to verse three, and it says, by faith, remember the hall of faith starts out with us. We're in the hall of faith as believers. And so it's by faith, We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things that are seen were not made with things that are visible. And it's by faith that we believe that our origin started with God and he created everything out of nothing. It it was his power and his wisdom. And we believe what the Bible says in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. And we believe that. And as I taught last time, it's in verse 3 that a skeptic here and a critic there will stop you and say, now wait a minute, how do you know what happened in creation? How do you know? And you would say, 
Well, I know because the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me. When I open up the Bible, it says God created. And so I believe. And so, wait a minute. You believe the Bible. You believe that God created the earth. Wait a minute. How, how do you believe the Bible is true? Why do you believe the Bible? And then you'll probably answer, well, because God said to believe the Bible. And it's there where someone will say, wait a minute. You believe what the Bible says, and you believe the Bible teaches God, but you then believe that God says the Bible. And that sounds like circular reasoning. And you may be taken off guard and go, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe it is circular reasoning. Maybe, maybe I don't know what I really believe. And perhaps I should step back and maybe question everything I've ever believed. And today I want to show you, you do not have a life of circular reasoning. You believe God because you believe the Bible. And there is much evidence, just enough there's just enough evidence that God has reserved for us, both internally and externally, that you can believe that the Bible you have in your hands, the Bible you have on your lap, maybe reading it on your phone or your tablet, is trustworthy and reliable. And in the next few studies, I want to ask and answer the question, why you can trust your Bible? Why can you trust your Bible? How do you know the Bible is true? Well, you know the Bible's true because God declared it to be so. And you know that God declared it to be so because it's true. And we know it's true as it supports. Remember, faith has substance and evidence. And because of the substance and evidence that God has left us, you and I can trust that the Bible we have in our hands, most of them translated in English, represents the original autographs that were written literally thousands and thousands of years ago. So today I want to start in John chapter 13. You don't need to turn there. Let me read it to you. Jesus is speaking in John 13, and he says this, verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me is lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass that you may believe that I am he. So Jesus is saying, I'm telling you what the scripture says. This is all fulfilling what was written before. And I'm telling you right now, so when it comes to pass, you will believe in me. And so the Bible is very important to Jesus. And that'll be the sum of our next study. But what Jesus is telling us here is that he trusted the Bible. He trusted the scriptures. The scriptures here that he's mentioning in John 13 is the Old Testament. You know, if you took your Bible, some of you may not be so familiar with the Bible yet, then that's perfectly okay. If you took your Bible like this and you opened it about three quarters, the left-hand side, three quarters of your Bible would be known as the Old Testament. 39 books, separated into 39 books. The right-hand side would be known as the New Testament, 27 books. And when Jesus is teaching there in the first century, when he says scriptures, he's pointing back to the Old Testament scriptures that were existent in the day. And he's saying, look, what the Old Testament scriptures predicted will be fulfilled. And I'm telling you right now, he says, I'm telling you about it right now. So when it does come to pass, you'll believe in me. That the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And when the word of God is shared, it leads to, really it only leads to two paths. Either belief or unbelief. And with eyes wide open, the scriptures are trusted by Jesus and he believed them. Now, 
we don't use the word scriptures too much today. It's kind of a Christian word. What we would use probably is the word Bible. That's what most people are familiar with, the Bible. Now, the strange thing is, is if you look through every single page of the Bible, you know the word that you won't find in the Bible? Bible. But don't let that throw you because we get the word Bible from, like many of our English words, from the Greek, biblios, or from the Latin, biblia. And it's just a transliteration of a word that represents the scriptures that were delivered to us. And while many people might treat the Bible with reverence, and many people might treat the Bible with awe, only true believers of Jesus Christ submit their lives to its very teachings. And here at Calvary Church, like Jesus, we believe in the absolute authority and the absolute inerrancy and the absolute plenary infallibility and plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. Unashamedly, we are not, like Paul, we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also the Greek. And we make no apologies for the scriptures. We believe that it is the very word of God. This is an important distinction to make because you will meet some people that say, well, I believe that there is truth in the Bible. I believe the Bible contains some truth. Well, be careful there because we don't believe the Bible merely contains truth. We believe the Bible is truth, that all of it from beginning to end. Would you turn your Bibles over, hold your place in Hebrews, go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We believe that the entirety of the Bible is valuable and inspired of God. That the Bible itself doesn't just contain truth here and there. Because that kind of attitude then makes you the judge of the Bible. Of what is exactly truth and not truth. And usually you know as well as I do that the truths that are dismissed in the Bible are not culturally popular. And will get you in trouble and will place you in a place of odds with the culture in which we live. And don't misunderstand me. The problem of the world just doesn't exist in Western culture. The problem of the world is not just what the United States of American Christians or non-Christians view of the Bible. The resistance and rebellion against God is worldwide. Every culture, every language, every tongue, every nation, anyone that's alive right now and breathing that hasn't placed their faith in Jesus Christ are living in a rebellious state. Sometimes we get stuck here just with Western culture because we live in Western culture, of course. We're influenced by it. But it's not just a, a USA problem. It's a world problem. We know that because Jesus said that in heaven, at the end of the age, that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping God. People will be saved from around the world and many people today don't believe in the Bible, no matter where they were born or where they were raised or how they were taught. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're given insight on our belief in the Bible. And in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, it says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So let me ask you this question. How much scripture is given by inspiration of God? Say it out loud. All. I want you to learn this. All scripture is given by inspiration in God. And secondly, all scripture is profitable. 
And you'll see four things anytime you open the Bible, anytime you turn on Christian radio where there's Bible teaching, anytime you sit through a sermon, anytime you're listening to a podcast where the Bible's being taught, one of or two of or three of or maybe all four of these things are taking place as you read the Bible. Number one, notice that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine, that's right teaching. That's where God teaches us about himself. He teaches us what's right. Secondly, the Bible is profitable for reproof, which by the way is why a lot of people put the Bible down. Because when you're reading it, you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's saying something about my life. Remember it was James that compared the Bible to a mirror. (laughs) And you know, you get up every morning, you look in the mirror, you may not be so happy with what you see, but that's what you look like. It's not the mirror's fault. Can you imagine? I can't, I hate you, mirror. Why are you showing me? Why? I need a coma to take a shower. It's all your fault, mirror. It's not the mirror's fault. That's you, bro. That's what we see. You know, when you take a picture, the first person you look for is you. And then you go, oh, no, that didn't come out well. Well, man, that, that's how we see you every day, all day. That's you. <laughs> that's you. That's a snapshot of you. So it's not the Bible's fault that it reveals to you reproof. So if doctrine is teaching you what's right, reproof is teaching you what's wrong. And let me just say the focus of what's wrong, God is right and we are not. And when we're reproved, there's something in us that God is saying, hey, this isn't right in your life. Thirdly, notice all scripture is for correction. And I love that about God. It's profitable for correction. So not only on one hand does God show you what's wrong, but then he shows us thirdly how to get right. I love that. He doesn't just condemn us and say, oh, you know, you got everything wrong and and I hope you can fix it. No, God will actually show you in the Bible how to live a life that pleases him, how to correct what's wrong. And then fourthly, notice the Bible is profitable. All of scripture is profitable so that you might be instructed in righteousness. God teaches us how we're to live our lives in a right way, how to stay right until we meet him face to face. And then notice the summary in verse 17 is, so that you, man of God, you, woman of God, may be complete. Now, if you'd like to write in your Bible, circle that word complete right next to it, mature. God wants us to grow up. Just like any expectation we have of a baby, of a child, as they grow up, we expect them to mature at a certain age level. Well, God, and as for us as followers, he wants us to be mature. And how does maturity come? But by the word of God. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. It is his tool. It is the tool. It is the only book on the planet earth today that is alive and powerful, sharper than any tool. You can go down to Barnes and Noble at Southlands. You can pick up 20 books on how to live right. Uh, You can pick up 20 books about the Bible. You can pick up 20 books of people that wrote commentaries on the Bible. And none of them have life in and of themselves like God's word does. It is life. The words of Jesus are spirit and are life. And all you need to do is open it up and start reading it. And God will impart life into you. And he will grow you and strengthen you. All of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. You know what that means? That means Leviticus is inspired of God and valuable. Because I know as the new year comes, you're going to get so excited. We're going to read the Bible this year. I'm going to read Genesis. Yes. Exodus. Yes. Leviticus. No. (laughs) But without Leviticus, we would never understand God's heart toward the sacrificial system. 
We never understand God's heart toward areas of holiness and purity. Leviticus is important. Numbers is important. Zechariah is important. That means that all of the Bible is inspired. That means the black letters and the red letters. You know, there's a group today um, that are calling themselves the red letter Christians. They're saying, well, the red letters are more important than the black letters in the Bible. And I understand a little bit of what they're saying in the sense that obviously we want to pay attention to the teachings of Jesus Christ because he's our savior, our Messiah. He's the one that's discipling us. He's our mentor. He's our pastor. I get it. But to separate the red letters from the black letters are saying that some of the Bible is not as inspired as other parts of the Bible. And that's not true. Because Jesus wrote Genesis as much as he did when he spoke when he was on the earth. All of the Bible. We don't just separate out. Well, there's a certain part to separate out. It's all Scripture is inspired by God. All of it. Have you guys got that yet? How much Scripture is inspired? All of it. All of it. The ones you like, and especially the ones you don't like. God's call to us is to receive his word, submit our lives to it, and obey him through it. So the Bible, the word literally means book. That's all the Bible means. And it's actually, you could say, the Bible is books, not book. Because the Bible is made up of 66 separate books written by 40 different authors in three different languages. It was written on three different continents over a span of 1,600 years. 66 books, 40 authors, three languages, three continents, 1,600 years. And yet throughout the Bible, there is not one contradiction and yet there's only one central theme. All these authors writing at different times, different languages, different statuses. You know, they, the authors, the men of the Bible that were used to write it were from all different walks of life. David was a king. Moses was a shepherd. Joshua was a military general. Luke was a doctor. Matthew was a tax collector. James was the half-brother physically of Jesus. And so in their lives... God took people from every strata of society to write down and inspire them what he wanted to be written down. The Bible is the foundation of our faith, so we should expect it to be under attack today. We should expect people to criticize it. We should expect to meet skeptics and to undermine it. Why? Because it's the foundation of our faith. It is the very revelation of God. You know, if you just started in Genesis... In the first two chapters of Genesis, you will read over and over again, God said, God said, God said, God said, until you get to chapter three and you meet this serpent dude, that serpent's talking, and the serpent says something. He asks this question, has indeed God said? That undermining question. That's not a question of, well, you know what pastor said, and you're supposed to test what pastor said by the scriptures. That's a good question to ask. Like if you're sitting here today, well, you know, I'm not quite sure what you're saying is true, pastor. I'm going to check it out. Check it out. But that's not what the serpent was saying. What the serpent was saying is that even if the pastor's right, has God really said that? And he's trying to undermine it. It didn't take long in the history of man. For the Bible or the words of God to come under attack. Has God indeed said? And God has placed me here in this pulpit today, in this moment, to declare to you and remind you 
that yes, God has indeed said. That he has spoken in time and written it down for us. That he's delivered the faith to us according to Jude chapter 1. You know, Jude only has one chapter. And in verse 3 it says this, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. How was the faith once and for all delivered to the saints? But through the word of God. The Bible, alive and powerful. The final word from God. He's not writing the Bible anymore. The faith has already once for all been delivered to the saints. So he's not writing the Bible anymore. However, we know that as believers, we have the Spirit of God living in us. And there is that manifestation of prophecy or the gift of prophecy so that when God will just inspire you, like you get this thought. I know it's kind of weird. You might be reading, reading in your Bible in Leviticus and it's like, yes, you will get leprosy. And you get this thought, man, I should probably send this scripture to Pastor Ed. And you're like, no, I don't think so. Leprosy. Why would I send him something about leprosy? But, but then you send it off. Why? Because you believe that God impressed that upon your heart. And you don't know what God's going to do with his word. And you're not responsible to know what God's going to do with his word. But where would you get that thought to send a scripture to a friend? Where would that come from? Where would it come from? It comes from God. And you're not writing new Bible. The New Testament gift of prophecy is not writing new Bible, but rather speaking forth the Bible that's already been written. You're not foretelling anything. That's already done. You are now foretelling so that if a person comes and says something that contradicts the scripture, immediately you can call them a false prophet. For example, if somebody comes to your door and says, hello, I'm your friendly neighborhood cultist and I want to let you know that there is a brand new testament that you don't know anything about. There is not another testament. You reject that outright. Or if someone teaches you something that's separate or different from what you know to be true in the scriptures, you reject that out. That is a false prophet. There is nothing new. There is nothing new because the faith has once and for all been delivered to the saints in the scriptures. So let me ask you this question. Who wrote the Bible? God wrote the Bible. You guys ready? Who wrote the Bible? God wrote the Bible. But wait a minute, Ed. I thought men wrote the Bible. That's true. Now, when somebody comes and wants to undermine the scriptures, one of the things they'll tell you is that I don't believe in the Bible because it's full of contradictions. And almost always, I put you on the defense like you have to defend God. You don't need to defend God. You don't need to beat up somebody when they say, there's a contradiction here and contradiction there, and just pound them in the sand. There are no contradictions. Don't ever say that. Don't do that. Don't become, I don't know, maybe it's our culture in particular, or like it's just so argumentative, like it's just so inside of you to win an argument and make sure people know you're right and they're wrong. But when somebody comes to you and calls out a contradiction, that's an open door for the gospel, folks. It's not a time to condemn them. Have a conversation with them, and I'm going to train you how to do it. You ready? When somebody comes, oh, I don't believe in the Bible, there's a full of contradictions. This is how you answer them. Which one is troubling you the most? Which contradiction is troubling you the most? Let's talk about it. Where? Where do you see that? And a couple of things will happen. They'll either have a standard answer that maybe you feel ill-equipped to answer, but I'm going to show you how to be equipped in a second. Or they've never read the Bible. They're just reading something they saw on Google, and, and yet they're talking about the Bible, which is an open door to share the gospel with people. We don't need to argue with them. Let's talk about contradictions. 
Well, thanks for hanging out with us here at Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Are you interested in hearing this again? If so, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. You can search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor, or listen to us through Apple Podcasts. Now, this month, we're featuring an excellent book by our friend in the ministry, Gail Irwin. It's called The Jesus Style. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? Well, we find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and his style of ministry. It is totally opposed to our natural leanings, so we need some help. Request a copy of The Jesus Style today when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also now order resources like this through our new e-store at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. We continue to meet in person here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Make plans to join us Saturdays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 845 and 1045 in the morning. Study the Word in the middle of the week, too, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. You can also live stream us at calvaryco.church. Glad you've taken time out for our study in Hebrews. Join Pastor Ed Taylor each day as we continue to learn how to live by God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 